Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This morning, I want to read to you from verse 5 to verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 11. I want to talk to you this morning about the discipline of the Lord and how the discipline of the Lord is an expression of the love of the Lord. Amen? The discipline of the Lord as an expression of the love of the Lord. And this is important because the people of uh, the people who are receiving the letter to the Hebrews and we and all people everywhere throughout time do not feel that discipline is loving when we receive it. Amen. I wish I could tell you that I always did, but I I tell you what, something that I praise God for is the statement in this passage that says, now no chastening for the moment seems to be joyous because I used to, I mean, feel so obligated to just feel like, you know what? I want to be so holy when God convicts me. I'm all happy about it. I'm like, yay, praise God. Conviction. Amen. I feel cut to my heart. Amen. Hallelujah. I saw that something inside of me is awful and I'm just praising God because I have an opportunity to repent and let God yank it out and snatch a bunch of stuff with it. Yay. And so to, to hear the author of Hebrews say, we're not playing. Nobody's pretending, right? No, no apostle, no prophets going, you know what? You should enjoy this. You should be a glutton for punishment and pretend that it's all wonderful. He says, we all have a hard time being corrected, being disciplined and interpreting it as love. And so this, it's an encouragement for us that when we are corrected to receive it and to know that God is doing it for a good purpose. Amen. Praise God. You think this is something maybe we all need to hear and learn, or am I the only one, right? Am I the only one? No, praise God. Hallelujah. Listen to what he says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 11. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, or have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
And this exhortation is from the book of Proverbs. And he's saying, did you forget that the word of God deals with the circumstance of people who are trying to love, obey, and serve God, and yet they feel like everything is going horrible in their life and they're tempted to resent God for it? Have you forgotten that there's a scripture that reminds you how to deal with that? I think maybe you've forgotten. And I think we forget it. Amen? And so he says, you have forgotten. He says this exhortation, my son, do not regard lightly or despise the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. And shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, come on, somebody say, but later, amen, but later, come on, say that with me, but later, right now, immediately, is it obvious in the moment, are you laid over God's holy chair, the throne of heaven, getting a rear end swiping and going, you know, I really see how God is going to turn this for my good, or is it, but later, Amen? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If God loves you, he's going to be at work to train you. Amen? And so love gives discipline. Let's pray this morning. God, I ask you to help me and to help your people. Lord, help us because we struggle to interpret the circumstances of life. Often the hand of God is hidden to us and we're confused by the things that he does and the things that he allows. And our heart would wander and be discouraged. But God, you encourage us. Lord, you renew us, you strengthen us, and you don't leave us in our discouragement, and you are gracious towards our confusion, and you teach us to persevere when we would rather not persevere. And Lord, you would teach us to put our eyes on the coming peaceable fruit of righteousness instead of being discouraged by the in-the-moment pain. And we ask you to help us to do this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Now, can I tell you this morning, before you judge the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews too quickly, and you think, oh, they forgot the exhortation that was written to them. How terrible, how weak is their faith, how weak is their Christianity. 
what terrible people they are. They should remember, they should endure, they should suffer more. They shouldn't have to be so reminded. They shouldn't have to have a whole letter written to them. Can I remind you that these are Christians who've been living in Jerusalem for decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've come to faith. They've obeyed the Lord. They've been kicked out of the temple. They've been kicked out of synagogues. They've had the loss of jobs, of home, of family. They have been ostracized. They have become the refuse of the world, and they have chosen to continue to live in Jerusalem, being faithful witnesses, preaching the gospel in a very hard place where people don't just somewhat disagree with Jesus. They agree that he should have been brutally murdered and they hate the claim that he was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the father on high to rule and reign and that one day he will judge them for their sins. And here these people are as a permanent reminder that you're saying we don't have the Messiah and that we're judged by God. And so they have suffered faithfully for decades. Amen? So don't judge them too quickly. We have no idea what that's like. Amen? Can we just be honest this morning? We're like, well, my boss treats me kind of nasty because I'm a Christian and I tell him about Jesus. And so I feel I'm persecuted, right? <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, praise God, you are. That is persecution, but that's kindergarten persecution. Amen. That's learning the ABCs at home before you even go to school, right? So praise God, you had to learn some tough lessons, right? ABCs are tough for me. I still get stuck between the N and the M and I'm like, which one coming, right? So like, praise God, you, you have some struggles there, but nothing like what they've been through. Amen. So when you read this, our temptation is to go, yeah, they needed to endure and suffer and be disciplined, but that was what they were going through. And yes, they had a hard time interpreting their suffering as God doing something good in their life, but that's not what's happening to me. I'm not having a hard time discerning the good hand of God in my suffering. My circumstances really are bad and I, sh I should look for an exit door and uh, I have the right to not have to suffer this anymore and it's just not fair. Or do we need to learn endure suffering as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. And so this morning, let's look at our text and see how he encourages them. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes the proverb where Solomon is speaking to his son and he is warning him against despising the discipline of the Lord. He says, my son, do not regard lightly. And this, this could mean, this word can mean to despise or to regard lightly in a dismissive way. It's not important. It's not relevant. It doesn't matter. This, this is far more painful than it is worthy in my life, right? So you're asking me to pay $100 for a paper plate, and I just sort of dismiss it. The cost is too high. The amount of suffering that I'm going through to get whatever God's trying to get out of my life is too much, and it doesn't feel fair, and I'm dismissive towards it. Does, can anyone relate to that, right? Can anyone say, I know what that feels like. I know, I've been through that. I've sensed that in my own heart. 
That's what he's saying. You're tempted to disregard it, to resent it, to despise the discipline of the Lord. And so he warns, don't do that, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. Lord, why do I have to get convicted again? I know people that resist conviction all the time and they've, they're never changed. They're never any different. They keep doing the things that they're doing and I have to humbly accept it again and I have to repent again and acknowledge it again and face it again and deal with it again. It's not fair. It's, I'm tired. I've been convicted for a long time. I keep getting convicted over and over and over again and I'm just tired of it and I'm weary. And he says, don't get weary. Don't be discouraged. Don't resent God for disciplining you and don't get tired of the discipline. Endure it. Hallelujah. So what does he say? He says, verse six, four, you're not supposed to do that because of this. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so this is telling you how to inter interpret discipline. Amen? It's telling you how to interpret discipline. I remember having a hard time interpreting discipline with my father. Right? I remember. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's wrong. It's not fair. He's mean. He's the worst. He is, frankly, he should get a spanking, right? And then they tell you things like, this hurts me more than it hurts. And I promise you, all of my life, I, wanna, I never have. I'm 35 years old. I still wouldn't say this to my daddy, right? But I, I weigh him by 50 pounds. I'm six inches taller than he is. All my life, I've wanted to say, well, then why don't you really punish me and let me beat you? Right? Why don't, why don't, I mean, just hurt me to the core and let me take that big old leather belt you got and just, you know, break my terrible little heart, you know, as a sinful child and let me spank. If, the, if it's worse to give than to receive, really punish me, right? And it just, it hurts you as a child and you don't know what that means until you're a father. And it tears your heart out into a thousand little pieces to cause pain or discomfort to somebody that you love, right? And I remember the day I watched my daddy have back problems all his life, get hurt several times, extreme pain, saw him have uh, uh, kidney stones where I remember walking into the emergency room where we met him. He had kidney stones. And when we got there, he was on the floor in front of the reception center asking for morphine or pain reliever until they could help him and he wouldn't. And I remember him trying to hit his head on the floor in the emergency room to knock himself out, right? That's not an exaggeration. I remember him in so much pain, he's banging his head on the floor. And yet I didn't see him cry, right? Just man's man, tough guy, cut his leg off with a chainsaw and you just go throw it in the cooler. I'll get it sewn on at the end of the workday. I'm not quitting my shift, right? To take care of this. I mean, just a tough man. And I remember after he spanked me, one day I walked by his bedroom and there's my father with his hand in his face, bawling. And I didn't quite know what it, that meant, but I know now what that was. I know the pain of a father disciplining his child. And so he says, you have a hard time interpreting this discipline. 
But it's because he loves you that he disciplines you. Amen? It's because he loves you. Now, we'll get to the verses later on when it says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. So, yeah, our fathers had different ways, and maybe some of our fathers were mean or cruel or harsh or unkind. Maybe some fathers didn't care at all. Maybe had bad examples of fatherly discipline. But whatever their discipline was, whether it was cruel, mean, cold, light, uncaring, just threw you to the wind. Whatever your experience with your earthly father was, your heavenly father loves you. And because he loves you, he will not let you stay the way that you are. Amen? And so whom the Lord loves, he chastens right? So we sing songs this morning that say the Lord loves us. Amen? We're here looking for your love, right? And who thought, man, because I'm filled with God's love this morning, God's going to bend me over the pew and just give me a good one this morning, right? Or did you feel like it's just going to be all butterflies and tingly and I'm just seeking your love? Or is sometimes love more difficult to interpret than that? And so he says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Amen? And he chastens every son whom he receives. Has he received you? Have you been adopted into his family? Do you belong to him? Are you his? Has he taken you in and said, you are mine? Amen? Then discipline. Praise God then discipline. Discipline will take place. Because when I discipline my sons and my daughters, I'm thinking about the things that I see in the community and the world around them and those who were not disciplined. Can I tell you, when I go to the prisons and minister and I talk to young men 18 years old who have tattoos all over their face and they are in there for 20 to 30 years or life, and I talk to them, I can tell you the ones that didn't have a father in their life. I can tell it in about four or five seconds. Or I can tell if they did have a father, what kind of man that he was. And he didn't discipline them. He didn't hold them accountable. He didn't train them. He didn't care for them. He didn't love them enough to discipline them. Finish this statement for me. Spare the rod... Ah, spare the rod, spoil the child. That is a cultural uh, twisting of that word. That's what I've said all of my life. You know that Proverbs says the one who spares the rod hates his child? Now, the, the fruit of that is a spoiled child. Amen? Right? For even a child is known by his doings. Right, Sister Cobra? That's her, that's her favorite verse. My children know it by heart. Amen. When I discipline them, amen. Even a child is known by his doings. Yours is Sister Stelly's. Is that Sister Stelly's? Yeah, Sister. Yeah, you too. Amen. Uh, and so these children know this. Even a child is known by his doings. If you don't love a child, you don't discipline it. But if you love a child, you have to give it discipline. Now, what, what are, what is Discipline. By this definition, when he says in verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
it must mean this. Discipline is the intentional giving of unpleasant consequences for wrong behavior. Right? That's one side of it. One side of it. It is the intentional giving of consequences to wrong behavior. That's one side. But it cannot only be the giving of consequences. It also has to be training in a positive way. Discipline is both negative and positive. Amen? And so it talks about in Proverbs, the rod of correction, not the rod of punishment. Amen? If all we do is punish wrong behavior all of the time, we will have children who hate us. Right? Because you can find something wrong with everything that they do. Right? And this is, this is the nature of enforcing good behavior because it's even in the laws of our land. How many of you have ever heard of a book? I'm trying to remember. I think it's called Three Felonies a Day. Have you ever heard that? There's, there's a book about all the laws in the United States of America that over and over again, we've had to write all of these laws because criminals find loopholes and ways out of them, right? So they'll find a way to maneuver and do something where they're technically doing something wrong, but there's not a law against it. And so we've got to come up with this very specific example that you can't do this. And so basically what ends up happening is basically every person create... Uh, commits a, a felony or two or three felonies a day. In other words, it's, it's so specific about what you can do and can't do and all of these different things that even when you're not intending to do anything wrong, technically someone could watch you and go, caught you. We got you. Technically you did something, right? And we can have that attitude as parents, right? And you can see that attitude in many religious people. Isn't that the attitude of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? We can, we're just sin spotters, right? You ever, you ever met people in church, sin spotters? I mean, they can find something wrong with everything, with every song, with every attitude, with every word, with every shirt, every skirt. Well, yeah, you're wearing a skirt, but it's not long enough, right? Or you're, you're, you don't have much makeup on, but you got enough that it's, I think it's seductive or they just, they just can spot a problem with every single little thing, right? So this is the problem that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, which means that he can see wrong things in our behavior and actions and attitudes. So when you are developing in your spirituality and you get to a point where you can see things wrong in everybody to accuse them of, praise God, you have reached the spiritual maturity level of the devil. Great. Good for you right? You have reached the pinnacle. And a lot of people feel like this is the high place. I can find something wrong in people, right? I can spot it in them. But discipline is not just the pointing out of wrong behavior. It is also the positive reinforcement of good behavior. Amen? So two things. It is the intentional giving of consequences for wrong behavior, and it is the intentional, gracious rewarding of good behavior that teaches you do the right thing, not the wrong thing. Amen? And so we're in a constant surge of hills and valleys, 
of blessings and sufferings and the goodness of God and the harshness of the world where the Lord is constantly allowing difficult things that are perfectly tailored to deal with our flesh, our heart, our attitude, our sins, and to deal with our weaknesses. And then here's a light of grace. Here is some of the goodness of God. Here is some of God's mercy that you don't deserve, but I want to encourage you. And it's always God trying to show you more of himself and make you more like him. Amen? And so he says, this is the discipline of the Lord who God loves, he chastens, he disciplines. Amen? He both gives consequences for negative behavior and he rewards with grace positive behavior or desired behavior. But if we remember the main point of the passage, it is this, that we struggle to interpret the hand of God. That's the point. We struggle. As a Christian, you ought to be developing a enough knowledge of the word of God and the things of God and knowing the character of God that you see the hand of God in things. Amen. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, not just in heaven. They see him in life. They see him blessing. They see him protecting. They see him guiding. They see him all over the place having mercy. But no matter how spiritual you get, there are times when you just don't know how to find the hand of God in a situation. You just say, I don't understand. How could you say you love me and this happen? How? I sought you. I prayed. I, I studied the word of God. I tried to become a good Christian. I tried to walk with you in your ways. And I just cannot understand how this is you or how this is good. And he says this, verse 7. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is trying to give you spiritual discipline. And sometimes that spiritual discipline is the discipline of faith when you don't see the hand of God and you don't know what he's doing. And to say, I have enough faith to keep walking with the Lord even though I don't feel like it, right? Because our, our faith can be up here one minute and down here the next, but that's not faith, Amen. When our faith is affected by things that we see, well, are we walking by things eternal and transcendent or by things that we see? Right? If we walk not by sight but by faith and then we see things that make us struggle with faith, that tells us we don't have a real consistency with our faith yet. Amen? So we can sit here and say, it's all about the grace of God. It's all about the blood of Jesus. It's all about the cross. Jesus said, it is finished, and I believe it. It is finished. I don't think I'm ever going to change. I don't think he's ever going to change. I don't think she's ever going to change. This marriage is over. The, uh, these kids, I don't know what to do about them. This life, the, the church, whatever it is that you get discouraged about, it's finished. I don't know. It's never, right? That's our heart. He says, what you need is discipline. What you don't need is everything to go your way. Amen? He says, it is for your own pleasure that you must endure. No, it's for discipline. And so God looks at all the things of your life that you care about, and he says, 
there are things that I'm willing to rock the boat on or let crumble or fall or suffer because I count the discipline of godliness and faith and wisdom and love, whatever area of discipline, whatever area that you need discipline in, he says, I count that as more valuable than whatever you're going to lose to get it. And so it's for discipline that you must endure. Amen? And so he says, so he says, verse 10, or excuse me, verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? If we had respect for earthly parents, knowing how flawed they were, right? Knowing how imperfectly they did it, how much more should we have respect for him? Verse 10 for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. They made their decision. I feel like it's a time to be harsh. I feel like it's a time to be gracious. And how many can say as a parent, you, you never really know if you're doing it right or not, right? You just don't know. You're trying your best, right? You're, you're doing your best. If we could just be honest enough, tell our kids, I don't know, Right? Well, why can't I do this? I'm taking a guess. I don't think that they have good character and you seem easily influenced. And so I'm just saying, I don't think that you should go with them. I want you to have fun. Maybe you could go with them and they would do something stupid and suddenly character would rise up in you and you would go, I don't want to do that and I love you, but I won't be with you anymore because you're making bad decisions it's going to hurt me and you walk away. Maybe you would. And maybe you'd go, you know what? You're jumping off a bridge. I'm going to do it too, right? So I, just, I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm doing my best to discipline you. And he says, parents, they discipline us however they see fit. And there is a subjectivity to it. And sometimes they fail. And you need to know that your father is not like that. He's not like that. He's not messing up. He's not, he's not experimenting. He's not confused about who you are. Well, Lord, if you knew how much I really love you, you wouldn't test me this way. Come on. <laughs> Come on. He says, those earthly fathers disciplined us as seemed best to them. And maybe it was for the wrong reasons. Maybe they disciplined us because they were angry or they were spiteful or they were impatient, or they were unkind, or maybe they had too high of expectations, or maybe they didn't because they didn't care about us, and they let us go, and they let us do whatever we wished, and we're destroying ourselves because they didn't care enough to step in. Whatever your parents did, whatever. But he disciplines us for our good. And so this is the requirement of faith that we believe that whatever discipline God gives, he does it because he wants good for us. Amen? Praise God that he wants good for us. He says that we may share his holiness. By the grace of God, you have been given holiness in Christ, a position of holiness. Amen? You've been given a position of holiness in the same way that you have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen? Scripture, praise God. And you have been made the holiness of God in Christ Jesus. You've been given a position of being holy and sanctified. 
If, if you don't know this, it says in 1 Corinthians that he writes the book to the sanctified in Corinth. Well, who are they? Because if you read the letter to the Corinthians, I don't think any of them are holy, right? This was like to two people. There was a deacon and an old lady who loved Jesus. And to, for the rest of y'all got nothing to say because the rest of you are terrible. He says, are you in Christ? Then you're holy. And so you have a position of holiness, but you need an experience of holiness. You need to be holy. You need a holy living in your life. And so I'm trying to take you from just me giving you holiness to you experiencing so that you look like what you are in Christ. Amen? I want you to look like what you are. Amen? How would you feel if you're walking at the crawfish festival and you're over there and you see this lady in this worn out, ugly old t-shirt and she's got a handful of crawfish and just juice all over her face, hair is messed up. And you're, that's the queen of England, right? She's the queen, right? She is the queen enjoying crawfish, but she don't look like what she is, right? And you say, man, how long has she been here, right? She's She's, you know, really enjoying this food and she's got boudin and she's enjoying it. She's going, oh, it's hot and mela and she's doing all this stuff. And you go, you're the queen, but you're not looking like the queen right now. Amen. And how many of you are holy in Christ? But maybe you're not looking holy. That you're a son, but you don't look like a son. And maybe God says of you, you belong to me, but nobody looking at you would go, that's mine or that's, that's his. And so he says it is for holiness that you may share. And you're not inventing holiness. You're not achieving holiness. He's got all of it for you. And he just says, I just invite you in. Come on and be like me. Let me make you more like I am. Amen. Praise God. Isn't this the root of our prayers? Lord, I want to be like you. I want to think like you. I want to be like you. I want to act like you. I want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus washed the feet of Judas. You think there aren't going to be any Judases? Jesus was patient with Peter. You don't think there's going to be any loud mouths lopping off ears you got to put up with? right? Jesus was patient. Jesus was loving. Jesus was gracious. You think that you don't have to be any of those things? You're going to have to go through some things. Why? That you may share in his holiness. And he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later. Amen? Later. Not now, but later. Can I ask you this morning, are you willing to live for later? Amen? Let me just ask you, are you willing to live for later? Or do you want immediate gratification? You want it easy right now? You want to give up? You want to just say, I'm tired, I'm done, I'm through right now, I want things better right now? Or are you willing to live for later? Because all of the ways of, Lord, of the Lord are later ways. Read Proverbs, look at all that wisdom literature, and you see the difference between foolishness and wisdom is foolishness promises short-term reward with big payments later, right? So this is, this is adjustable interest rates with starting off at 20% interest, and it, and it goes up quick. The price is really high, really big later, and later you go, 
well, I, I bought that car for 5000 and now I owe ten, and the car's worn out and broken, and it's not running anymore, but I need another car, but I'm still in debt for 10000 for this one because I'm still paying that off. The payment was way too high, and I'm paying later. That's sin, right? Enjoy it now. Have it now. Big consequences later. If we paid the consequences for sin and not being like Jesus right now, we would never sin again. I'm telling you, you, would ne you couldn't stand it. If immediately you felt the consequences and saw the consequences of foolish, sinful behavior, you'd never be able to stomach it again. But the devil promises, come on, you can eat the fruit and you won't die. Everything will be, the consequences are, they're pushed down the road. Don't think about them, just enjoy. Just enjoy. But the ways of the Lord... These promise big payments up front, down payments, hard payments, payments of sweat and blood and grief and pain, difficulty up front. But then you find out, man, how big the reward is later. Amen? How big the reward is later. Isn't this the wonderful gift of God that he asks you to go all in now? all in now, and then he gives you all that you could ask for later. Amen? Think about the nature of the gospel. It says you have nothing to bring to God but yourself. Broken, sinful, wicked, rebellious. You're not even going to follow him well. He says, you want to follow me? Come and follow me, and I know you're going to be terrible at it. You're going to pick up your cross, you're going to lay it down, you're going to pick it up, you're going to lay it down, you're going to have to pick it up every day. And you're like, that cross is hard, I don't like it, and it's got nails on it and splinters, and nobody likes it, nobody wants to talk to me because you don't like people with crosses, and it's just, it's hard, and life is hard, you want to complain, I don't want to do it. And he says, you're going to be terrible at it. And yet, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to walk. I'm going to listen to you moan and complain. I'm going to correct you over and over and over again. I'm going to constantly do things for your good that you don't like. And I'm going to be patient with you while you struggle to understand it. And then one day, you're going to see him face to face. And he says, to him that overcomes, I'll give to sit with me on my throne. I'll wear a crown of thorns so that you can wear a crown of life and a crown of righteousness. What? Man, what is this? That you're going to store up treasures in heaven where moth and flame can't get to it and you're going to get there and God will have multiplied it and overwhelmed it and made it entirely more worthy than it ever was? Man, I gave weak obedience, struggling faith. I gave weary praise. I clapped when I didn't feel like it, and maybe nobody else even thought that it looked good. Maybe I looked kind of down and discouraged while I did it, but I tried to do it, and I get to heaven. And God's purged it of all that sin and multiplied a billion times by grace, and he gives me the reward of my suffering. And so, later... Later, now, right now, easy, comfortable, no, 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 unpleasant now, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so this morning, my message is to compel you to trust the love of God for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And so trust him, trust him, trust that what he does, he does for your good because he loves you. And that he is bringing something out of it, even if it is later. 
Amen. Praise God. Can we ask the Lord to help us to see that? I want to I want to read that to you that scripture real quick and we'll close. But where it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 3, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And so this morning, the word of the Lord says that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. And what is the glory of the Lord? The face of the Lord. It is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But sometimes our eyes are dim. And it is that Christ that we must ask him to let us see. To remove the veil. To give us vision. To see Christ and the grace of God. And the sufficiency of the new covenant of grace and the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ. To see it all in the face of Jesus Christ. And say that one I can trust. The lamb that was slain I can trust him. The one who endured such hostility from sinners. I can trust him. He endured it for me, for the joy that was set before him. He endured it for me. I can endure this for him because he loves me. Amen? And so I tell you this morning to keep your eyes on Jesus, not on the discipline, not on the pain, not on the suffering, not on the confusion or the difficulty to interpret the hand of God amidst broken or scary circumstances, but to trust the love of God. Amen? Let's pray. God Almighty, we need you. We need your help. Lord, how short-sighted we are. How easily confused we are. How quickly our eyes are removed from the goodness of God to ourselves or our pain or our circumstances or what broke us or harmed us. But Lord, we ask this morning that you would teach us that who you love, you chasten. And even when we don't understand your hand, that it is doing something good that we may share in your holiness. God, that you would make us more like you, that you would teach us your way, that you would bless us that you would make us conform to the image of Christ for whom you did foreknow, you also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of your Son. I thank you that before time ever began, before sin ever came, before we were ever broken, you had a plan that whoever trusted you and believed you with the gospel, that you had already made up your mind to make us look like you. And I ask you that you would help us to submit to that process and to become those people. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Praise God, saints. We love you. We thank God for